I don't like to preach with somebody around behind me too much. But I want, I'm going to say, you know, I cannot be intimidated. I have been on the staff of First Baptist Church in Houston. I was their first administrator back in 1977 or 78. And this is a big country church. First Baptist Church would seat about 5,000, and they had big, if you, anybody ever been in First Baptist Church, Houston? They still got those big round white things up in the ceiling that kind of deadens the sound, and well, I'll try to make a long story short. Uh, I wasn't really prepared to go to First Baptist Church. First Sunday I went, Brother Bassanio came up to me and says, uh, so Jim, we wear suits and ties on Sunday. I didn't know that, so I started wearing a suit and tie, suit and tie. And you know what? He, when I left a couple of years later to go to Howard Payne University, he bought me a suit, <laughs> and I needed, and I couldn't get it on one leg. Now today, but I'm not intimidated by big churches. I can remember I was pastor at First Baptist Church in Cross Plains, which is not too far from Brownwood, and I knew the professor of preaching over there because I'd worked with him. And one morning I got up to preach, and there he was, sitting right there. Whew. I kind of swallowed, and I said to him, you know, I was worried at first because uh, I've never had a challenge like preaching before the professor of preaching before. And I, and I said, and then I remembered, I've never had a class under him. So I just forgot that he was there and went ahead. I'm, I'm glad I had the opportunity to be here this morning. Now, this Bible is, may, not, may not be exactly what you think is a Bible, but it is. But I spent so much money on it, I've got to use it every now and then. <laughs> Sometimes I can't get it to, to turn around and be the way I want it to be. But... Uh, I was thinking about. I appreciate that testimony, young lady. I've got to. Can you cut these lights down just a little bit? I like to look at the people a little bit. There, they're just. Where's that young lady that gave the testimony? And Brandy is sitting next to you there. Is that? Did you call him Randy? Casey. Well, don't get. I am an Aggie by an act of the state legislature. Uh, East Texas State University changed to Texas A&M University at Commerce after I finished my last degree, and they sent me, said, we'll change your diploma, change your ring and everything if you want to have one that says graduate of Texas A&M University at Commerce. I turned them down. I said, we'll just leave it like it is. But the reason, you know, she mentioned something, I finally found him. He was looking for a good young lady from Aggieland is what he was looking for. <laughs> a good young Christian lady, Aggie. So that was uh, a testimony. I had an experience one time, 91, I had prostate cancer. And uh, it's amazing how people will come up to you and they'll say, now, they didn't say this, but this is what they were saying. They said, 
Brother Odell, I'm so sorry you're going to die. And that's really a lot of people, you know, what they, they're trying to comfort you, but all the time, at that time, prostate cancer was pretty good death sentence. But I got that. Well, listen, God got me through that, and that was 20-something years ago, and I didn't have to have chemotherapy or radiation, and I'm, and I'm still here. I'm going to, to speak from Philippians, the first chapter, so I want you to turn to Philippians, the first chapter, if you can. I'm not going to read it completely. I am going to read the first of a few verses. <clears throat> Mainly, I'm going to be from 12 to 26 in that first chapter, but I'm going to read the, read the first 12 verses. And by the way, Paul and and all the scripture verses that she quoted in her testimony, Paul wrote those because Paul wrote most of the New Testament. When Timothy was with him, uh, I think Timothy might have been his scribe and everything. But this first Philippians, the very first chapter, it says, Paul and Timothy, services, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in me began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in change or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. That you love, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depths of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness, righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. And these next few verses, I'm not going to read all of them, but we'll get back to them. I'm going to hit some highlights. Now, 12th verse, it says, listen, I want you to know, brothers, everything that has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Through all the Roman palace, throughout the whole palace guard, and to everyone else, that I am in change for Christ Jesus. And people know this. And because of my change, most of my brothers and sisters in Christ have become more confident. Did you ever think that how you behave encourages other people? That's what Paul is saying here. It's true that some people preach the gospel as it should be preached. Others out of envy. Hey, but what difference does it make? The important thing that the gospel is preached and more and more people come to know the Lord. And then he says, because of all of this, I rejoice 
and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And whether I live or die, I'm going to be Christ's servant. It's better, evidently, for me to live. But I'm yearning to that day when I can go to be with Jesus. I'm convinced of this, he says, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Amen. How many of y'all ever heard the hymn, Follow Me? I told the young men up here, my wife does not like me to sing at church. And I hadn't got the music, but I know the words. And see if you've, see if you've heard this one. I traveled down a lonely road and no one seemed to care. The burden on my weary back had bowed me to despair. I oft complained to Jesus how folks were treating me. And then I heard him say so tenderly, My feet were also weary upon the Calvary road. The cross became so heavy, I fell beneath the load. Be faithful, weary pilgrim, the morning I can see. Just lift your cross and gently follow me. There's three other verses to that, but I'm not going to sing those. The place that you're in. Did I mention the title of this sermon? I forgot what the title of it was. Joy in the place that you're in, or joy wherever you are. Joy in the place you're in. I'm one of you now, see. You preach about Christian joy. That's fine for you, but you don't have to work where I work, and you don't have the difficulties I have or face the people I face. You don't have my financial struggles. You don't have my neighbors or have to deal with them. My family conflicts at the end of a difficult day. Preacher, you can talk about Christian joy, but you wouldn't be so joyful if you were in the place I'm in. Think about that for a moment. To many of us, that's our attitude. We think that just because we're in a hard place, a difficult situation, we're justified in ceasing to rejoice. Paul says, I rejoice. And again I say, I rejoice. Let me tell you, if you you talk about Paul and his missionary journeys and you follow those, he managed. I I thought about two things as I was sitting right out there. As she was reading... Her testimony, I thought about these steps coming up. All those are even steps. In the temple in Jerusalem, Herod's temple, the expansion, if you go to the southern wall, they have uncovered all of that, and they've, got, they've even got the steps back. The way they were when Jesus would have walked up those steps 
to go either in the double gate or the triple gate. And guess what? They're not the same. There's one long step and one short step. One long step and one short step. You cannot run up those steps. You can't get in a hurry. You've got to literally take your time. One and a short. Two and a short step. There's a lesson there somewhere. Paul managed. He was persecuted by the Jews and Romans. By the way, did you ever, do you know why they call it, why he took the name Paul? I think this is probably it. When he first went on his first missionary journey, he went over into Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. And the first Roman province he went into, the proconsul there was, and I see if I can remember his name. I should have had it written down here. Anyway, let's call him Gladius Paulus. Paulus was his last name. And he got to witness to that Roman proconsul, And he came to know Jesus. And I think that's where Paul, from then on in scripture, you look at it in the New Testament. From then on, he is referred to himself or by Timothy as Paul, no longer Saul. Paul managed. He spent a lot of time being persecuted by the Jews and the Romans. He was imprisoned for two years at Caesarea. He endured a, a dangerous sea voyage. And God saved all of them because and for the sake of Paul. And then when he got to Rome, he spent at least two more years under house arrest in prison at Rome. It was not a smooth downhill slide. And I'm not a snow person, but where I grew up, we had railroads going through town and these big long hills on the side. We'd get cardboard and slide down those hills on that grass. Paul did not have an easy journey in life. It was not smooth. And right in the middle of it all, in verses 18 and 19 of that, to the Philippian church, while he was in prison, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know, one, that through your prayers and through God's provision of the Holy Spirit, everything's going to be all right. Whatever, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And we can easily see that Paul did not have an easy time. He faced some real difficulties, as God's word testifies. And we know, if we read his word, that joy and happiness is not dependent upon the place that we're in, the situation, the difficulties, the conditions. Oh, how you doing? Oh, I'm pretty good under the circumstances. We're all under the circumstances. And the conditions, the difficulties we face does not control who we are. But three, three things can happen, and they often do. First one, 
we can become bitter. And there's a bitterness that can spoil your circumstances. These circumstances can fall, and they kind of sneak up on us. Look at 12 through 19. It's easy to become bitter in a difficult place. In chains, he was. Preachers, you know, trying to knock you out of the best place and take over your place there when he was in prison in Rome. Envious preachers, they were preaching, but they were trying to get Paul's place. Let me tell you this, and I have never heard of a bitter, happy person or a Scrooge or a Grinch that acted with a joyous nature. And so what you have to ask yourself, is there some bitter root that is spoiling a part of my life? We could, we, we could say that Paul had every right to be bitter The potential was there. There was an injustice in the fact that he was placed in prison so much. Injustice of your bonds. That can cause problems and bitterness. Paul experienced persecution and imprisonment. He was arrested by the Romans, you know, while he was still in Jerusalem. And just before they got ready to flog him... He said, uh, you did know I was a Roman citizen, you know, and I've never been convicted of anything. They, they kind of stepped back then. He was a Roman citizen. He had some privileges. And that very night, Scripture says, the Lord or his special angel, some people look at it differently, makes no difference, appeared to Paul and said, take courage, Paul, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you will also testify about me in Rome. When the fear of Paul's murder by righteous Jews was an imminent, the Roman commander, finding out that he was a Roman citizen, sent him to Caesarea to await his accusers so they could try him right. You know how long he spent? imprisoned in Caesarea two more years but while he was in Caesarea anybody ever been to Caesarea it's on the coast of the Mediterranean there's Caesarea uh, what am I trying to say named after Caesar and there's Caesarea Philippi oh it's Caesarea Maritima and Caesarea Philippi is in the north named after Roman emperors well he had to spend two years under house arrest or in prison there but guess what He had the opportunity to witness and came in contact with King Agrippa and his wife, governors Felix and Festus who replaced Felix, and after an appeal, on to Rome and Caesar. Because they were going to convict him there, he says, I appeal to Caesar. So they had to send him to Rome. And Paul knew he was going to make it to Rome. I don't know what in your life seems to be your injustice or your situation. Might become bitterness or resentfulness. But they can spoil your opportunities to rejoice and claim God's promises. And it doesn't make any difference where you're at home, at school, 
here in this building, this building is not the church, but in this building, as a member of the body of Christ, whether you're at work or retirement, I tell everybody I'm retired. But I, I also tell everybody I am the oldest living cashier and busboy in any restaurant in Texas. You've got to come eat at Mill Creek Cafe sometime between 9 o'clock in the morning and 2 in the afternoon. On Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I'll be there. And I tell them also that I'm the oldest living active part-time school bus driver in Texas with a doctor's degree in education. You know, it's hard for me sometimes to witness that those high school kids say, study hard, do what's right, listen to the Spirit of God in you, and you'll turn out all right. And they look at me, and I'm a bus boy and a school bus driver. But God's in control. Don't let worldly injustice or your situation or circumstances make you bitter. This lost world that we live in does not care. And the sooner we learn that and realize what God wants us to do while we're here, we're to get busy. Second one is the hostility of your colleagues can lead to bitterness. How many of y'all been a member of a Baptist church most of your life? Okay, a lot of you out here. You don't have to answer this. You don't have to raise your hand on this one. If you've been in a Baptist church and different ones over a period of years, you've gone through at least one church split, hadn't you? They got mad at the preacher, this or that, and there's something happened. Listen, hostilities and friction, disagreement with your colleagues can cause bitterness, even with close associates. In that 15th and 17th, 16th and 17th verse, it makes it clear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former preach out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up some trouble for me. And Paul goes on to say, it doesn't make any difference. Whether they're trying to elbow me out of the way or where they're praying for me. Because it makes no difference. I don't know where your destructiveness, bitterness might come from. But sometimes it kind of sneaks into our lives. Well, no use me thinking about joyous Christian life as long as people are adding to my afflictions and to my bonds. If Paul had taken that attitude, we would have never had half of the New Testament. I guess it would be a pretty hard place to be in. Pretty hard place to rejoice. Believe me, it is and it will be. But Paul did not let injustice nor the hostility of others toward him, their attitude, let him destroy his witness. And that's the most important thing we've got, is our witness to a lost world and to our friends and family, people that are struggling. And that brings us to the third thing about bitterness and injustice. That's why I sang that first verse of that, follow me. Because another thing, we begin sometimes when bitterness sticks in, we begin to blame God. 
God, you forgot about me, didn't you? I'm still here. But why am I having so much trouble? I don't know where if Paul ever thought that. Did you forget about me, Lord? I suspect at times momentarily because even just a little crack, Satan's going to find an opportunity to test you. Remember, things were tough. And when they were about to take him, the Lord Jesus appeared to him. Acts 23, verse 11. Take courage. You're going to Rome. And during that long voyage to Rome, whenever you study that, you take your time and really go through it. That was an interesting voyage. After days of sailing, when no one would listen to him, after many days without food, they were driven for a week or two against the storm. During the night, as Paul was down in the hole of the ship, the angel of God appeared to Baal again the second time. Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all that sail with you. Anybody know how many that was? I think it's in scripture. 279 souls. Didn't lose a one. Don't throw it stuff overboard. Don't get, stay right here. Don't try to make it to shore by yourself because they could see the shore. He says, stay on the boat. God will take care of us. And every one of them made it to shore. Was Paul afraid? Even great saints like Paul lose their perspective, I think, just for a moment. But when that happens, if you stay close to God, the Holy Spirit's going to be right there. In this case, God's angel was there twice to encourage him. Paul says, don't forget to rejoice. (coughs) Pardon me. Remember, you know who Paul was? He was the most changed man that we know about in the New Testament. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a a Jew of Jews, a student of Gamaliel, the, the teacher of righteous Jews. He persecuted the church. He killed Christians. He witnessed the, the stoning of Stephen. But God knew his heart. Somehow. And he met him on the Damascus road. And Paul made a 180 degree turn. He was sold out. But Paul was called to preach and he couldn't preach in prison on a boat in captivity couldn't couldn't visit the churches that he loved and he's writing to one of them in Philippians more or less he was a captive in a position where chaos was in control where was God's purpose in all of this in your situation in the place that you're in Paul would be strengthened. The gospel would be preached in Rome. Many of those that Paul traveled with, 276, I don't know what I said a while ago, were saved from the storm. And through all this, Paul rejoices. 
Thank you, God, for my illnesses and my challenges in my life. Thank you, God, for opening the door even though it was hard. Thank you, God, for helping me forgive that person and get right with you. There's the bitterness that spoils. And the second one, uh, there are difficult situations. The place you're in can be blessings in disguise. A real surprise born out of a difficult situation. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what happened to me actually served to advance the gospel. Being in prison... Being persecuted <coughs> has opened doors instead of closing barriers. As a result, throughout the whole palace guard, well, just look at it. There was no way that Christians could get into the palace and preach to the, the best Roman soldiers in the, in the empire. But Paul was able to do it. And to everyone else that I am in change for Christ. There's just no other way that could have happened. What about your opportunities to witness right here in Uvalde? In nursing homes. Hospitals. On difficult jobs. With your unchristian neighbors. Any tough situation, even at school, and it's getting harder and harder to talk about Jesus at the schools. God may have placed you where you are in a tough situation, in a difficult place, for a divine purpose. People around you, and maybe it's you, is the only opportunity they're going to have to know Christ Jesus. Blessings, the strengthening of other Christians. Paul's hardship were exactly what other persecuted Christians needed to witness. I wanted our basketball team Friday night. They played a little town. Gosh, I don't know where it is. I can't even think of the name of it. Waller. It's spelled funny. Waller. Playing on their home court. And they got beat 50 to 46. And a lot of people disappointed. I hope a lot of people rejoice and they got the opportunity to play a good team on their home court and almost beat them. You can never tell where blessings are going to come from. Hardships. People need a Christian witness. Because of my change, most of the, the brothers and sisters, the body of Christ, have become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Everybody know what a resin is? It has two parts. First one is just a bunch of paste, but there's a catalyst to go there. And when you mix them together, then something happens, doesn't it? Folks, we're to be the catalyst for the gospel of Christ in this world. So people, 
will be changed. And it's only through the word of God that sometimes we can strengthen someone else. In the face of death, the way you face death, or the death of a loved one, growing old. Well, I could have left that one out, you know. Growing old is not all it's cranked up to be, is it? But you know what? Even at 76, I still enjoy telling people about Jesus. Loss of financial security. Well, I lost that a long time ago. I was not worried about that. Loss of position. You know, sometimes when you lose your job, things can go bad. I, I went into, I was, I was academic vice president at Dallas Baptist University for two years. And I walked into my office one morning after two years, and my key wouldn't work. Unbeknownst to me, the board had given pressure on the president, and they removed me from that position and push, pushing me, put me over in the development office. Well, that was good. And, you know, at least they didn't fire me and put my name in the paper or something like that. I still work for the college. You know where the next place I went was? It wasn't a month. First Baptist Church in Houston. And it wouldn't happen unless I got relieved of my duties. A family problem? How many of y'all have been married 50 years? One, I can see two, three, four, five. How many have been married 55 years? Oh, I got to quit there because I've only been married 56 I could have said he'd been married to the same woman. Most of us have. If we've been married 56 or 57 years, it's to the same woman. (laughs) But believe me, the problems we've had, you know, have not been few. Everybody has problems. But I married a Christian girl, and I'm almost believing to be now that she really loves me. Thank God, God knew better, though, because we had a boy first, then we said, let's have a girl, and we had another boy, and we said, let's have a girl, and we had another boy. We have three boys, no girls. So God, had, God knew more about it than I do. Your courage in difficult situations, wherever it is, can bless others. Blessings of personal Christian growth. For I know that through your prayers... And God's provision of the Holy Spirit, what has happened to me, will turn out for my deliverance. You know what the scripture has carries? The, the salvation in, in the word of God carries the meaning of your Christian growth, your spiritual development, and well-being. Sometimes when God wants to work a miracle in our life, He cannot do it anywhere else but in the most trying adversity or circumstance. And if we understand that and know it going into it, we can do all things in Christ Jesus who strengthens us. The bitterness that's spoiled, difficult situations that are blessings in disguise. And the third one is a boldness that leads to rejoice, to sing. That's why I love to sing. I cannot imagine why they let me lead the music. I can't read a note of music. 
but I know most of the hymns and I know them by tone and I have more trouble with the pianist and the organist than I do with the songs. <laughs> but I rejoice. It makes me happy to sing. But at, you know, when all's going along real fine, it's a delightful experience to sing. But just let it rain on your parade sometime. And the smiles turn to frowns. Be brave. Now, some of you are not going to understand this. Be brave. The world says, run. When the chicken littles of the world cry, woof. Be brave. The sky is not falling. Regardless of the circumstances, always have a concern for the glory of Christ Jesus. It gives us the boldness to sing. Paul's greatest concern was not for himself. He did not want to be an embarrassment to Christ Jesus. That my Savior won't be ashamed of me in any way. But that I'll have the sufficient courage so that now and always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or whether I die. Paul's completely unconcerned about his self. I went and got my first pedicure about two years ago, never going back again. That's painful. I couldn't go through pedicures and nail, you know, I don't understand it. But we'll go through some difficult things, won't we? And that, what God is saying, there's going to be some difficult problems in your life. And you need to stand fast. No personal honors did Paul want. He didn't want people to applaud him. He didn't want a necessarily easy life. Only that Christ be lifted up. What's on your priority list? Christ's glory or your own image, your own ministry, your own success or failure. Regardless of the circumstances, you got to have a contempt for your own comfort. And that will give you a boldness that can sing no matter what happens. The place you're in, somebody answer the phone. The place you're in may be as difficult or more dangerous than Paul's circumstances. And the threat of destruction may hang over you. Life or death. But if you know who you are in Christ Jesus, what God in Christ has promised, you will too rejoice and sing. Regardless of the circumstances, because you have an abiding confidence in God's control. And that's when you can really sing onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. I'm asking this question to everyone here that can understand. Are you hard pressed? You don't know which way to turn? Does the place you're in bring fears and doubts and dread? Claim the boldness that comes with absolute confidence 
in God's control. Even in the place you're in right now. You got a decision to make. A prayer to lift up to heaven. And whether you do it publicly or privately, this might be a good time to claim your joy in Jesus' name.